0: Good morning, Rimlock Church. It is so wonderful to be here with
1: you guys this morning and sing and praise to our King. And uh, and I just uh, invite you guys to take a moment, if you haven't already, to just focus your gaze on the Lord this morning, that we're here to worship Him. We're not here to worship the person next to us or behind us. Um, We're here to worship the Lord, and so however He leads you to do that, standing, sitting, Hands dancing in the eye.
2: of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises.
1: his faithfulness. Well, Christopher is gonna come up and give announcements, but because I'm not Tom, I'm not gonna sing him a song. So I'm sorry if you guys are all disappointed.
0: (laughs) Good morning everybody. Welcome to Rimrock Church. Glad you're here. Darcy, welcome. Um, I'm Chris Doyle and uh, pleased to give the announcements this morning. So if you're new to Rimrock, if you've been coming and you feel a draw to connect, there's a card in the seat in front of you. Fill that out. Drop it off in the back of the gathering center. There's a little birdhouse, white house. You can drop it in there. Somebody from the church will reach out to you and get you connected here more than just showing up on Sunday. Uh, Reminder that on Wednesday nights, we do have dinner and we also have small groups. And you're really encouraged to participate in that here at Rimrock. That's really where we connect. So hopefully hopefully if you feel that urge, you'll respond by filling out that card. Our semi-annual meeting will be February 6th after the second service. Even if you're not a member, you're welcome to join that. And I would encourage you to come to that even if you aren't officially a member of Rimrock Church. You get a little bit of a look into the corporate side of the church. The pastors, what's happening, the planning, and the finances. So it's always good to know more about what you belong to. Also, the Black Hills Pregnancy Center has a representative here today. They would invite you to participate in their annual Baby Bottle Campaign. So, this is a nonprofit agency here in the Black Hills that provides services for men and women who are involved in an unexpected pregnancy. Um, the support for the ministry is to grab a baby bottle and fill it with cash, coins, or a check. The bottles need to be returned here to the church on February 20th. So I don't know if everybody's aware of this. I think most of you are aware of this. But four years ago, Rimrock Church made a commitment to an organization called India Evangelical Team. We refer to that as IET. It was part of our fall fill-up in 2017. It was an overwhelmingly well-responded-to event. We basically made a commitment as a church to support 30 pastors in India who go to an area of India that is referred to as where the unreached are. It's an area where Hinduism is the predominant religion, and Christianity is unknown. The name Jesus is not known and the story of Christmas is never been told to these people so this organization was started in 1972 by a gentleman in India and he wrote his story in a book called compelled which you can get a copy of this is a fantastic book of of the story of essentially the book of acts alive today in the world it's not just something you read in the book of acts you read the stories of what's happening there and pg does a great job of outlining their ministry his son ab now runs that ministry in india and ben uh, pastor ben uh, pastor mike hayes and myself were scheduled to go there next weekend on the 31st but this new wave of COVID has shut us down it's postponed our trip because they have a seven-day quarantine coming into the country, and we were going to be there nine days. So it was just an ineffective time for us to go, and we trust God in when the time will be right. AB and you remember James from Houston, who comes and reports to us, they really want us at Rimrock to be on the ground in India to see the physical evidence of what God is doing there and how the name of Jesus Christ is spreading in the area where essentially our 30 pastors are carrying out that good news work. Um, We are in the final year of this commitment. 2022 is the final year of our five-year commitment. That commitment is approximately $36,000 for the year. Many of you are contributing uh, uh, basically about $100 a month. If you feel compelled to participate in that, you can make a contribution to the church and just write IET or India on that. And I just want to thank you on behalf of AB and James and those ministers. Not only have you supported that ministry and those 30 pastors, but our prayers are heard by them, and more importantly, they are felt by them. Our fellowship and our friendship Is what A.B. refers to as unique in their relationships with any other churches in America and I think it's amazing that on top of the commitment to support the 30 pastors twice we've been asked to do additional support you'll remember that we did a motorcycle campaign and we also did a food campaign and I think it was the reaction of you contributing to that And that message conveying to them that not only are we supporting them financially, but we're partners in the work that they're doing. So just a couple of things that we would have most likely seen and heard about on the ground. Uh, AB told us two weeks ago that amazing things have happened as a result of the COVID lockdown, IET was gutted, by finances so about 80% of their finances come from within India and of course when the country shut down a year ago it shut off their funding additionally they lost 20 pastors in their team of about 300 and AB said that this is a very serious problem for IET because they basically take an 18 year old or 19 year old boy and put him into a biblical school and then work them through the ministry in India, and they won't actually be called or asked to go out and pastor to a new group of people until they're 40. So if you take 20 people out due to COVID death, it's gonna take a long time for them to fill that void in their ministry. AB reported that in his worst moment, the funding had dried up, people were starving to death, And they had lost yet another pastor and several children and spouses of these pastors. And he said he had an absolute breakdown. And in that moment, he said God's sovereign power revealed itself. And we were a part of that because we had contributed to a food drive. And he got made aware that that money was available for that food drive. A.B. reported that he was taken up to the Himalayan mountains a couple of months ago. He was in waist-deep snow. They were at the 14-foot level, which is about half of the height of the total Himalayans. The guides were having to stomp down the snow to get to this village, and he said he stopped, looked out across the valley from the Himalayan mountains, and saw the grandeur of God's beauty. And in that moment, he said a prayer for us and he wanted me to convey that to you that in that beautiful space he thought of you he was grateful for you and he said that as soon as he got done praying for rimrock the doxology came over the top of him and he started proclaiming that god is the father jesus is the son and the holy spirit is alive another amazing thing that happened as a result of the covid lockdown in chimeri this area was blocked off. You couldn't go in or out. And so the pastors were even having a hard time going between the villages where they, where they communicate and, and hold up the church as it's developing. And A.B. said an amazing thing happened to the new believers. The new believers in those little villages, which it's pretty tough to be a believer in a Hindu village because you can get beat up and you can get ostracized, and that's what happens to them they were the ones that started sharing what limited resources they had for food with their neighbors they were the ones that went into homes and actually physically cared for people that were suffering from COVID and they started going to houses where the illness was and they would sing songs and pray over them and it had a huge impact on the community they really saw the love of Jesus for our neighbors effectively occurring right there without the pastors telling them to do it. AB said that in most of the Christian homes, once they become a Christian, they'll pray about an hour a day and they may sing songs as a family. Because of the lockdown, it was reported that most of the families were spending between two and two and a half hours a day reading the Bible, praying, and singing together. And that that was something they would have never believed they would see this soon as the churches are developing in the villages. And finally, as they started to be allowed to come out this last, basically a year ago, they found that many, many people in the community started showing up at the baptisms without ever being told about the baptism. So in other words, they were being watched. And people were being drawn curiously into who these Christians are. And the result is is that many, many people were baptized that A. B said, otherwise, he doesn't think it would have worked that way. He said it would have taken years. And finally, and the thing that he was most impressed with, is within those little villages, several of the men who' become Christians were leading their families. Stepped up and essentially became elders in the community to organize gatherings of the Christians, which would be a church gathering. And A.B. said, never in his wildest imagination would he believe that that could happen that quickly in this area. They're having an effect in carrying the name of Jesus. A.B. is absolutely intent that we get over there to see it physically and we plan to. We'll report to you in the meanwhile as we know. And finally, we don't know what it looks like after this year, what the relationship looks like. I think many of us would like to see the relationship with IET continue, but we're just not sure what it is. And they're not really in a position where they're asking us for anything specifically until we can physically get there. So as we go through this year, we're gonna wanna continue to pray for how God wants to use us in helping them and if you would like any information on it just grab me after service today please would you join me in a prayer heavenly father i just thank you that we get to be a part here in america to the new message that's happening in india thank you for allowing us to participate in these missions god we just ask for a blessing on those here that have given to that god place on the heart of the rim rockers the iet ministry that they would pray for them away from the service and that we would empower them to continue to do that work amen Amen.
1: Before we get into this next song, we're going to sing a hymn that many of you guys are familiar with, Come Thou Fount, but I know when we get into these songs with a lot of hithers and "thou's" and Ebenezer and what does all this mean, we can get lost in the words, and I think there's just some really rich truths in here, and I was just reflecting about this song this week and thinking about God's redeeming love, even with this last song, what love could remember no wrongs that we have done. So this song, there's a lot of things in this song, but I just, his, his redeeming love in my life, I think about our tendency to turn to other things. I think about where I even was when God first came to me, which really calling me to follow him. When I was in college, I wasn't necessarily looking for God or looking for answers in anything. And yet God came to me there and he started pursuing me and he rescued me from danger. He rescued me from another life that I could have lived. And, and I think about how daily I am in need of his grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be, daily I need his grace because though he has rescued me, I am still weak and I am still prone to turn to other people, to myself, to look for strength, comfort, help, but yet I can rejoice because I am his and he continues to call me back to him. He continues to pull my gaze from whatever I'm trying to to get my help from and, and remind me I'm the one that has helped you. I'm the one that has been faithful in your life. And that word Ebenezer means a st- stone of help. It was a, a monument that they raised in remembrance of all that God had done. And as we remember who he is in his faithfulness, we're called to praise. And even in our praising, we can be weak. And so even this song says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Assist me, Lord, in giving you praise. So I want us just to sing through this song and reflect on his redeeming love in your life and think about that. Remember how he has called you and continues to call you back to him.
2: Found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me so up.
1: To yours. God, no matter where we're at, God, I thank you that your redeeming love and your grace do not run out. And I pray now, God, that we just continue to come before you wherever we're at, God, and come and seek your work in our lives, God. And as Nick comes and speaks this morning, God, may we just come wholly surrendered to what you want to do in our lives and receive from you your message and your words. Thank you for rescuing me from danger. Thank you for being our rescuer. We pray this in your name. Amen.
3: Well, thank you, praise team, once again. Amen to the lyrics and the praise and the music and the worship. So my desire is that we continue to worship as uh, I speak and you listen. Uh, my, my prayer has been that we would look at the book of Judges and the people of Israel, their surrounding neighbors, and how God related to them and how they responded to God. And, and we would learn something of ourselves. We would learn something of God and, and have the, uh, the wisdom granted to us and the grace that we could apply it to our lives. That uh, Oftentimes we read narratives and we hear the stories, and I think many times in Scripture, those are meant to be a mirror for us to look into, uh, that we might live out the gospel message, that I might come to, to know my, my tendencies to wander, and God's mercies that are new every morning. And so that's our desire uh, as a preaching team as we look into Judges. So today we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 6. And this portion of Judges is, is really a, another introduction of the book But it's also a summary. It gives us kind of a flyby of the entire book and this entire moment of history in the people of Israel. And then it unpacks a few more of the details as we go. So uh, Ben and and Bill have done a pretty good job kind of setting the context. So I will try to do this fairly quickly so we can get into uh, some of the meat of our uh, chapter here. But essentially Joshua was a good leader of Israel. Verse 8 says that he was a servant of God, and under his leadership, uh, Israel did a fairly good job following and trusting and obeying God. Uh, There was still uh, foreign gods in their midst. They still showed signs of kind of some half-hearted following and some half-hearted repentance. Uh, So this reminds uh, me of myself often and us. Uh, But for the most part, things were going fairly well under Joshua's leadership. And the book of Judges takes place after Joshua's death. And essentially, it shows what happens to a group of people when they stop acknowledging God as God in their lives. And when they begin to, essentially, the the scriptures say they do what was right in their own eyes. And really, I, I understand that to mean they began to play God for themselves, they began to decide. For themselves, what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was bad. Where they no longer came underneath the authority of a creator. They no longer came underneath the authority of a God. Uh, and they, therefore, they, they kind of refused to saw their need for, uh, as, as Hannah just expressed in song and in her testimony, for rescue, for saving. And so what takes place is this downward spiral. And the book is, in, in a lot of ways, a tragedy. There's some themes that take place, and one of the themes that you'll see over and over as we look into this story is Israel would sin, they would experience great oppression as a result of that sin, they would cry out to God and repent, and God would deliver, and Israel would sin, they'd be oppressed, they'd repent, and God would deliver. And in this time in history, God uses People, These people that we call judges to be the deliverer from the oppressor. And so judges, it might be helpful to think of a judge more as a a tribal leader or or a chieftain of this tribe. And so all throughout Judges, there's different leaders that are raised up. God anoints. uh, His spirit comes over them. They they deliver with uh, incredible victories uh, throughout the whole book. However, there's kind of also a downward spiral with these people that God uses. They move from pretty good people to good people to okay people to bad people to pretty terrible people. And so it's interesting to see not only is the state of Israel kind of spiraling downward as they follow other gods and stop acknowledging the true God, but even the the people that God uses to deliver them. So a few maybe disclaimers, and one is just because God uses people doesn't mean he endorses the majority of their decisions. So when you read through the scriptures, when you read through um, the story and the history of God and his people, you're going to see a great God accomplish wonderful things, but he uses a lot of broken people. And many times it's easy to think, well, how did did he put favor on that man? Or how did he put favor on this woman? And then you you look into their lives and, and they're not great people. And so it's important to understand that, and we see this today, right? God uses all things to accomplish his good will, to bring himself glory, to bring us hope and peace. But it doesn't mean he, he endorses everything that's taking place around that. The other thing that I think is, is important to point out is God's anger is not the opposite of his love. Now in my life, often you'll see anger that's misplaced. You'll see anger because of my selfishness. You'll see anger because of my idolatry. But with God, his anger is not necessarily the opposite of his love. And so my encouragement is when you see the anger expressed uh, in Old Testament or New, uh, Judges 2.14 says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hand of their enemies. And my my desire is to encourage you to, to look for the love that is behind that anger. Really, I think if you love something, then you have to have expressions of anger. Anytime that thing which you love is threatened or uh, in danger, anger ought to come. I see anger basically as an emotion that says, that's wrong. Something needs done about it. If we walked out of church today, and there was severe mistreatment taking place in the parking lot, we ought to experience anger. Now, that anger should come from our belief and our love for people, that that is wrong. And so when you read through the Old Testament and you read through these actions of God and you see his wrath poured out, uh, please look for what is the love underneath that that's fueling what, what I would call a righteous anger. So part of what we enter into, the story of God and, and the people of Israel, as we dive into Judges and as we dive into this chapter, is this, this covenant that he has made with his people, this this arrangement this agreement and if you remember when god says i will be your god and you will be my people there's there's a couple different um, agreements with this government and essentially god says if israel would trust him if israel would obey him then they will be used to show the world what god is like they will be used to usher in this kingdom of love and peace and they will be a city on a hill That all the people, all the kinds of people of the world will be able to look at them and see the attraction. And therefore point to God and say, I want some of that. In fact, I need some of that. Because this here that I've experienced is so broken. And that looks so good. But Israel fails miserably to keep up their end of the covenant. How so? Well, Judges 2.1 says, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to your fathers. And I said, this is God, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. So God commanded Israel to drive out the Canaanites, to drive out the godless people Around them because their lifestyle was so corrupt and so terribly immoral, was so filled with selfishness that they harmed one another. They stopped valuing or honoring God, and they stopped valuing and honoring life. And so God says, I need you to drive this out so that there is a cleansing, so that it these things that take place will express what I'm like. But Israel doesn't do that. In fact, it says Israel became like the Canaanites. So Judges 2, verses 12 and 13, says they forsook the Lord, or Yahweh was his personal name expressed to them. They forsook Yahweh. They followed other gods. They served Baal and the Astaroth. And Baal kind of represents, um, for us, it's, it was a, a false god that represented money. And power so the things, the idols that tempt us would be money and power and fame and success. And the Astroth represented things more like sex and pleasure and all the things of entertainment and leisure that we can fall into. And so you see, though we don't have carved images quite the same that they do, it's, it's real similar temptations, isn't it? Our, our culture is immersed in the same lust and hunger that the Canaanites and that tempted Israel away from their God. But how do we do the same thing? How do we as a people here serve other gods and in ways forsake the living God who offers us goodness and hope? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, I think, gives us um, some help here. 1 John says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then it helps define the world. It's not necessarily saying anything that we come across on this earth. It's not saying the trees and creation and relationships. But it helps us define what it's deeming as worldly. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. So it uses this word lust which the Greek is hypothumia, which basically means there is this hyper-desire. It is something that we love too much. It is something that we love that is forbidden by God. Or, in fact, it is just something that we love more than God. And so when I desire something, crave something, need something more than God or too much... That's what it's saying, that don't don't love the things of the world. and and, And the world loves things more than they love God. And so we take a good thing, like relationships, like the opinion of others, and then we need it and we lust after it too much. And next thing we know, we find ourselves compromising this, that, and the other thing, only to get affirmation. And the examples go on and on and on of how we... Enter into these lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eye, this pride of life, and lusts will always turn into idolatry. Again, when you think about what idolatry is, it's loving something in place of God, right? So most of the time in my life, I don't totally remove God from my life. I've experienced too much of Him to do that. But I fall into these things where I just love these things more than. I prioritize my time and my resources and I obsess my thoughts over things more than God. And so in those moments, I'm guilty, like Israel, of making other gods, of looking for other rescuers, worshiping something other than God, idolatry. Idolatry becomes your priority. You serve it, you worship it, and it will enslave you, and it will harm those around you. You enter into intense relationships with those things, those idols. But it never really delivers what it promises. It uses us. It doesn't care for us. So God, a couple times in Scripture and in this verse, it talks about God having mercy or having pity or having compassion on his people who just committed severe idolatries. I will promise you that your idol, your false god, will never care for your heart. It will never look upon you with compassion. It will never extend its mercy to you. It will forever enslave you. And as a result of that, we commit horrific acts one towards each other, which the book of Judges just shows us tenfold. The greatest gift you can give the person next to you The greatest gift you can give your friends, your family, your spouse, the greatest gift you can give your children is to worship God with all of your heart. When I am worshiping God before all things, the fruit of that is a love for others. The fruit of that is mercy. The fruit of that is compassion. The fruit of that is being an agent of peace. And Judges shows us where this goes when we place other things before him. Asking myself the question, asking you, what are, what are your primary idols? We have lots of them. But what are your primary idols? One way to explore this is, what makes you most angry? What things take place in life where all of a sudden you get this reaction that is, is beyond normal and healthy? What causes you the greatest fret? What do you find yourself worrying about more than anything else? When you survey the people around you, where is your reaction far beyond what seems natural and normal? There's a good chance that that takes place because someone just threatened your idol. Someone just threatened that thing which you think gives you purpose and meaning. That which you lust after, someone just put in danger. I look at my life and there's many times I think, whoa, where did that come from? And it's easy to just look through the situation and my reaction. But my, my encouragement is look a little deeper. Try to find out why does that cause such severe reaction in me when I see it happen all around me and people just kind of pass it off. Your overreaction, a lot of my overreactions are um, outward. They're, they're expressed physically. Um, you, you get what you see. Your overreaction might be internally. And so ask yourself what takes place. Maybe you're not an ulcer giver, but you're an ulcer getter. So ask yourself, what is threatened that causes me such internal angst? Again, for me, it might be I'm starting to bark at the people around me a little bit. For you, you might just be barking at yourself more. So those are good indicators of what might be your false gods. In Judges, Israel becomes like the godless people around them. And I don't know about you, but many times in my life, and I think also in the narrative of Scripture, this starts in very, very subtle ways, doesn't it? It starts in very small compromises that eventually lead to horrific results. I think we do this when we, when we mix with culture too much, which is what we see in the narrative. Judges 3... 5 and 6 says, The sons of Israel lived among the godless, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives, and they gave their own daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. What are we compromising? What values do you have that all of a sudden have weakened? Maybe you're no longer investing in your spouse the way that you know you ought to. Maybe as a result of that, you're entering into more conversations with a man or a woman who's not your spouse, and maybe God has continued to put his finger on that, but you haven't done anything about it. Maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you're dating a non-believer. Maybe you're entering into habit of just gossip and slander, and it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. I know for me, there's many times I'm with a group of people with close godly friends, And next thing you know, we're eight minutes into just complaining about things and people. One step at a time, where we begin to be conformed into the image of a godless world. You've probably heard me say this before, but sin takes you farther than you've ever wanted to go. It costs you more than you ever wanted to pay, and it keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Idols enslave, idols never deliver what they promise. Proverbs 7.23 says, he does not know it will cost him his life. There's great visuals in the Old Testament. Again, here God asks them to go into these cities that he has given them and and to tear down, to demolish, to destroy, to utterly burn all of these high places, all these false gods, all these altars. And there's many times we need to take that same aggressive approach to the idols in our lives. But some of these are big and easy to see, and some of them aren't. And so, in the scripture, ancient times, they would have these small little idols, small statues, small graven images, and they'd have them somewhere in their homes. And idols never stay in the corner. Idols never just stay put in the small corners and recesses of your homes. They always grow. They always expand into your house, into your relationships. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. How many times have we seen this in the world around us and see it in the narrative of Israel in the book of Judges that they forsake God and then things don't go well and then there's anger against God and we blame God? There's not a place on earth that we can run from the consequences of our actions. But as we sung, there's not a place on earth that we can get away from the mercy and the grace of God. Our sins they are many, but your mercies are more. And this is the story of judges. Some of you perhaps read the, the U version first of the day, Psalms 30, verse 5. It says, The anger of the Lord is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. His favor is for a lifetime. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All throughout Scripture, God likens his relationship with his people to a good marriage. He says, this is a love relationship. Yes, it involves some rules, but it's, it's created around relationship. Yes, there's some duty to all relationships, but the central force is love. And just like a good marriage, you don't cohabitate. Just like a, a beautiful love relationship, God says, that's what I want with you, and I will not share you with other lovers. Matthew says that you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one or hate the other. So all these New Testament passages are highlighted in the book of Judges. When we watch and we just see and observe what took place in Israel at this time. And again, I think the desire is to look at our own lives and say, What do I need to avoid? What do I need to destroy? What do I need to tear down? And what do I need to cultivate? Some interesting moments here where God leaves the surrounding tribes, these pagan tribes, near Israel... And the text says to test them. Judges 2, verses 20-22 says, So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their fathers, because they have not listened to my voice, I will not drive out before them the surrounding nations in order to test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord or not. Sometimes when we, when we read about God testing people, we almost see this as, oh, man, you're setting them up for failure. How harsh. And I don't see that the case. I, I see this more, it reminded me of, of parenting when my kids were really young. So we'd have a two-year-old who has older siblings, and I would say, hey, don't touch that. And the older sibling would always want to do what? Go, go get it and remove it. Go uh, child-proof the home. And many times I remember saying, no, no, leave it there. Because they need to learn to trust me. They need to learn to obey me. And so God doesn't always just take the temptation away. He puts you in a position that you will trust him, trust his goodness, trust his wisdom, trust his love, so that you will respond in obedience. And I needed my kids to learn that message when they were young because the stakes get higher and higher and higher, right? And at some point, they need to transfer that away from their earthly father onto their heavenly father. Israel failed the test, miserably. But God was gracious, and God was merciful. Verse 18 says, The Lord delivered them, for he was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. So, you have these people who have continually forsaken God, but God continues to deliver them, continues to be moved by their cry, as half hearted as it was. And he said, He he saw the oppression and he saw the affliction, and he delivered them time and time again. Now, what's interesting about this is who oppressed and who afflicted them? The very people they were trying to be like. Again, another. Point you an example of what idolatry will do. The very people they were trying to assimilate with, the very people they were trying to aspire to intimacy with, the very people that they said, I want to be like that, those come around and are the very ones who oppress them, the very ones who afflict them. We're not going to read it today because we don't have time, but Ezekiel 16 gives this image, and I'll paraphrase it. Very, very graphic image in Ezekiel 16 where God walks, the lover walks, the father walks, walks, the husband walks, and it says, I saw you wallowing in your blood alone in a field as a baby. And I took you up in swaddling cloth and I cleansed you and I nurtured you and I took care of you and I covered you. And as you grew, I beautified you. And it gives this picture of a woman. And I adorned you with beauty and I put jewelry around you, and I uh, fragranced you with oils, and you became beautiful, and you were at the age of love. And so it's this great picture of salvation. It's this great picture of protection. It's this great picture of, I will take care of you and give you good things. And then it says, but you played the harlot with the passerby. You played the harlot with all the neighboring people. You took the gifts and the beauty and the things which I lavished upon you and you used those to commit horrific acts of intimacy with, the, with others. Adultery. Idolatry. And it says time and time and time you did this until your shame was all over and the very people you gave yourself to despised you and hated you. And so again, a mirror. What are the talents? What are the opportunities? What are the gifts that God has lavished upon you to experience his love? For you to offer back up to him as worship. For you to bless the people around you. And so often I use those things to glorify myself. So often I use those things to make sure I'm lifted up and you're put down. It ought not to be so with Christians. It ought not to be so when I realize everything in my life is a gift. Judges 2, 10 through 11 says this. So again, we move from a, a, a relatively good generation of people who are fearing God and loving Him. And then it says this about their kids, the next generation. It says they neither knew the Lord or the works that He had done. A generation of people that didn't acknowledge God and did not remember his deliverance. Essentially, they forgot the gospel. And whether this was the parents' fault or the kids' fault, probably a little of both. But they had forgotten their need for a Savior. They had forgotten that there was a God who continued to deliver them. How do we do the same Well, I see oftentimes we have these rules without a relationship, right? We've been under that. In fact, maybe many of us grew up under that and we hated it. All these rules, all these things to do or these things not to do, but no love relationship. Or other time, we talk about this love and kindness without Jesus. We talk about trying to give something that we have not received. We haven't expressed to our kids, we love... Because he first loved us. I think failing to explain what Christ has done in your life. Failing to talk to our kids about the bondage that we once experienced. And how we didn't get out of it simply by trying harder. But we had a deliverer. We had a redeemer. We had a savior. And expressing that testimony to the world around you. Expressing that testimony to your kids. They catch that. Another way is I think we fail to explain why we have the rules to our kids or our younger generation. How does God influence your daily choices? Here's why we don't invite mom's sister to Christmas anymore. Here's why we do, though she's a jerk. Here's why your dad and I got divorced. Here's where we messed up. Here's where we didn't listen to the things of God. But here's also why I don't badmouth him. Here's also why you're called to respect his position. Here's also why you're called to forgive him. Here's why I still think God is good, even though he took all my dreams. Did he take them? Be careful there as well. Here's why I still praise him, even though I'm experiencing severe loss. Here's why I feel free to drink alcohol, but you'll never see me get drunk. Here's why I prioritize my life in a way that I pick you first. Here's why I challenge you not to do this with that friend. If you don't have some of those answers, then ask people who do. Ask for help. And that can can just be your friends that know God. To say, I don't really have an answer why God would allow bad things and still see him as good. All of you have experienced tragedy. All of you experienced tough times. All of you experienced your own failures. And for us to sit our kids down and tell them why we still trust and believe in God. Those are lessons that don't go away. I think Israel, the children, I think they probably knew about the Red Sea. I think they probably knew about the ten plagues in Egypt. But somewhere along the line, they had forgotten God's hand in that. Somewhere along the line, they had forgotten the gospel message of redemption. And when we read the book of Judges, we have this opportunity to see where our idols will take us. But we also have this opportunity to watch God continue to deliver. Continue to be merciful. Continue to to offer hope. Continue to pursue. And as a result, our obedience ought to come from trust in his love. Where when you understand and recognize, when you believe that Jesus loves you, you will obey him. And in Judges, we have these human instruments that are used by a merciful God. But y'all, we need something more than human. We need something that won't die so as when the leaders die or when Joshua dies, they go to demise. We need something that's more lasting. We need something that will free us for all time. We need something that won't just redeem a land for a moment, or sickness for a moment, or our surrounding tribes for a moment. We need a Savior who can cleanse us inside and out. We need a Savior who can make all things right for all time. We need the great I am. We need Jesus, our shield, our redeemer, our father, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. These judges are types and representatives of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you know him as Savior and you have for a long time. And as we sung daily, go before him and express gratitude and live out the gospel. And if you don't, there is an offer of salvation. Understanding that your idols will enslave you and God will set you free. Scripture says, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the lusts of the flesh. Rather, use them as an opportunity to exalt your Father and love others. That people might see your good works and glorify Him who is in heaven. This is the covenant that God had with Israel. And this is the covenant that He's continuing to realize today at Rimrock Church and in your life. Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I realize how often that I fall short of acknowledging you as the active God of my life. Acknowledging you as altogether good. Acknowledging that I have no good apart from you. And thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. As we look at Judges and we see the the tragedy of the people of Israel and the godless around them, God, I pray that we might be motivated to come humbly before you and then confidently express you to those around us. God, would you give us the faith and the strength to tear down our idols? Would you give people around us to help us in that fight? And as we sing now, God, I just pray that we would exalt you for your goodness, that you are our Redeemer and our Rescuer. We love you. Amen.
2: How great is I-